The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Everyone has been talking about Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard, but once again, we're about to find out if it's been my big Harris all along. This week on the Stratocast, we look at United's one-all draw at Stamford Bridge, Cristiano Ronaldo being completely deluded, and how the recent fallout over his future could work out in Manchester United's favour. Michael Carrick is back, where some would say it all started. Middlesbrough was the first professional club the former midfielder played for as a nine-year-old boy. That's why he's described his return to Borough as special. He's been confirmed as the new Middlesbrough manager, and I think... You know, he had a brief spell as caretaker boss at United. Three games which were unbeaten in a, a pretty horrific season for the club. But I think everyone kind of wish him well. Most people that I've spoken speaking to around the club in the past few years about Michael Carrick and the way he, he's, he's carried his roles as an employee after retiring is that he, he he's very focused on the job at hand. Very um calm and, and, and assertive. And I think we'd probably see that kind of presence from him on the touchline. He's not going to be someone that's going to be rolling his sleeves up and roaring at players and shouting. I think he's going to be kind of calm and collective. But I'm interested to see how another one of our former players gets on at, at, in the whole managerial world. You know, we've seen the likes of Gary Neville step into it. That was a disaster for him. He, he won't be returning to management. Paul Scholes had a similar spell down the leagues too and didn't quite work out for him but then you look at Wayne Rooney who didn't work out for him at Derby but he could still hold his head up high and said he did a good job because the club was in absolute ruins and then he went kind of broadened his horizon a bit some people might say it was a step back to go to the MLS and become manager at DC United but look he's a young coach he's probably it's probably a good idea for him to to go out and broaden his horizon a bit as a coach and learn different cultures and learn how to deal with different standards of player and and a different kind of um different tasks that come with that you know every league has its different tasks that shows different tasks that you and, and, and is different in its own way and if Rooney can go to America come back and as a more experienced coach and take with him what he did at Derby you know it, it could work out to be a good all-rounded coach and it'd be interesting to see how it works out for Carrick at Burroughs. He, as I said, he had three games as caretaker manager at United. They ended up in two wins and one draw. So they weren't beaten over the three games, and that included a 3-2 win over Arsenal. So the kind of questions that the people might have about Carrick joining Middlesbrough is, will he bring Mike Phelan with him? I think that's a possibility because most coaches, they stick with the people they know, and and that's the kind of environment that they want to build is, is people that they can trust. And you won't find too many coaches that go into a job and, and select a bunch of people they don't know. So I, I would be surprised if Mike Phelan didn't follow Carrick to Borough. And then the other kind of question, which I think Borough fans would have more so, is what sort of manager are we expecting Carrick to be? And I think from a character perspective, I think you'll see someone that's calm and, and, and collective as, as a manager. And someone also, which he would have learned at United under his time with Solskjaer and Mourinho, that there was different phases in which the, the media comes circulating. 
tough questions and he's learned how managers deal with that and I think that's very important in the modern game in the championship if they they don't hit the ground running the questions will start flooding that Carrick because he's he's automatically a big big story now he's he's a, he's a decorated Manchester United midfielder and, and an England international who didn't get as many appearances for England as he would have deserved but um, but one nonetheless but moving on to some of the bigger talking points from the weekend, um, we're a few days on now from the the one all draw against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. And the first one that I want that I wanted to get onto is is Baran, because um, his injury is is a huge blow to Eric Ten Hag. And I look, it's only for I think we've we have seven or eight games before the World Cup. We've three games in the league between now and the World Cup, and to be without. Varane for those three games is a big kick in the teeth because he's been a formidable part of our defence since the beginning of the season. Well, since Ten Hag has kind of set on his best back four, which is two centre-backs of Lisandro Martinez and Rafael Varane. Now, the, the recent hit hamstring injury which occurred against Chelsea will um, will rule him out of action for United until the after the World Cup. I think he's touching goal for the first game of the World Cup for France, but he's expected to be selected for the additional squad. Um and we we just been watching the World Cup with our fingers crossed hoping that Ferran doesn't pick up a serious injury by the way because his rack track record is not good. There's gonna be a lot of football condensed into a month. There's not enough football as it is. Um and you're asking players to go that extra level over a short period of time which the, the World Cup takes place. It just it's just it's mindless that it's taken place during the season and I think it really really goes against player welfare when you consider the fixture congestion in the Premier League and what's been asked of players I think top of my head I know Diego Jota from Liverpool has been indefinitely ruled out of the World Cup I think the likes of Kyle Walker and Reese James are two England players that are kind of touch and go in our series doubts for the World Cup as a result of of these fixtures so, so big players could miss out in the World Cup and there's still a few games to go and a few weeks to, to come and I don't think the managers in the Premier League or any domestic league for, for that matter are going to take lightly on the fact that there's a, a World Cup around the corner because uh, as we've seen managers are getting sacked left right and centre Steven Gerrard delays to go in the Premier League which we're all laughing about but it's um it, it's a results business and Managers have to get results, and then you got players trying in the middle of being asked to play more minutes. And yeah, there's a, there's there's a few things they've brought in to fix that this season with the five substitution rule, which I think is yeah it helps. But with the amount of games um that they're being asked to play in such quick succession, I I don't think it makes all that of a difference. But Varane looked definitely falling a victim to that. I think his. His reaction as well to getting the injury against Chelsea was quite telling because he dropped to the floor, seemed to suddenly think that his chances of playing at the World Cup were completely wiped out because he felt the tears. And that was telling that we've got a lot of top-level players, such as Ferran, doesn't get much better than that, but they're thinking about the World Cup now. And there's still a good few games to go until the World Cup. And that's just a little worry, a little, little worry that... He, he he jumped to that conclusion that his World Cup dreams of 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 trying to defend the the, the title with France had just come closing down on him. Um, when in the back of I think most people's minds, from a Manchester United perspective, at, at Stamford Bridge, it was about him staying fit, the upcoming games between now and the World Cup, 
and making sure we can get as many points as we can on the, on the board because looking at the, the, the three games we have coming up in the league, they're all winnable. That's nine points we should be banking from those. And I think we'll be, we will definitely be in the top four come the World Cup if we can if we can manage to pull off three wins from three in the league between now and, and the World Cup. Something else from the, the game, I think it, it's, I'm, I'm not, you know, it's not rocket science, but Casemiro is the real deal. Really is the real deal. There's no doubting that he's a top class player. I think since he's come into the team and kind of finally kind of shaking Scott McTominay out of the fold, that we've seen top class consistency. He hardly puts a move wrong. Um, but I guess, look, you, you don't play for Real Madrid without being the finished article. The, the question is over time, can he impose these talents on, on Manchester United as a whole, as the team? Um, because it, look, look at games against Chelsea and other top teams in the league. We we're we're there against Chelsea. I thought it was man stages where we completely dominated. Not that a year ago it was not happening. It's not happening. So I think now that we're starting to kind of get a hold on the team. I think Casemiro's influence is massive to that. That we have a top class defensive midfielder because something we've touched on in previous podcasts. I know Sean alluded to it as well. Was the the influence, um, or how sorry, fullbacks are integral to Ten Hag's football. But I think now we're starting to see the how Casemiro is now in line in terms of being integral with the fullbacks in Ten Hag's system right now. In in this United team, I think he's absolutely fundamental to what what we're seeing every week. It's, we're finally seeing like the top class defensive midfielder United, and we've been crying out for one for years. I think the question too that I think is unfairly tagged on Casemiro and other kind of players when they come to United is are they just coming for the money? Um, because Casemiro you could say won it all at Real Madrid. Where is his hunger? Where would his desire be to you know, to go to United and have to put in the extra extra yard to achieve that? Well, I think he's pulling up trees at the moment. Um he he's certainly not shown as a player that has just come for a payday and that and that's that's encouraging because there's been transfers in the past ten years, I think some of the older ones where people have questioned a few exceptions too of course Slatan Ibrahimovic was was absolutely fantastic but the thing about Casemiro we need to be careful with is he's not quite that old he's not quite on the he's early 30s you know just uh, I, I would be hoping the past few weeks that consistent level of performance that we've seen I want him doing that for the next two years and if he does that for the next two years I'd be, be quite quite happy I think United will be in a good position too because team is getting better the players over that duration time should be better ten hags identity of what he wants from his team should really be in place so i think casimir look another one of the new signs i wanted to focus on this podcast after the chelsea game of course he got that equalizing goal at the end how he managed from that angle in that position the technique with his head kind of being in a further back position to loop the ball over keppa was just sensational really and look again i don't i don't think um I, 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 I need to kind of prove or I think what he's done in the game speaks for itself that he's one of the best midfielders in the world and still is. He doesn't just need Tony Cruz or and Luka Modric in a midfield trio with him to to prove that. He, he he's doing it at Manchester United in the midfield that has just been subject to so much criticism for, for quite some time. Another thing from the game that he can take is Potter accepted that Chelsea didn't deserve to win. I think I'm noticing quite a bit from our games in recent weeks and we've been battering teams like the Newcastle, 
which Jamie Carragher forgot about during his, his coverage the other night when he said that he thought Newcastle could have beaten United. But anyway, even Eddie Help admitted after the game that you know, they were, United were far better and Newcastle were lucky on the day. But the Potter accepted that Chelsea didn't deserve to win. There was a big spell, like I said, in the game, the first 30, 35 minutes that United absolutely bossed the game from midfield. It wasn't until the substitution of Kovacic came on that but Chelsea kind of were able to kind of grab the game with a scruff of the neck a little bit, but they didn't create loads of chances. Um, didn't worry United, um, but I think just the, the the biggest kind of talking points that we really need to get a centre forward and that, that that suits Ten Hag's um, style of play. I know you get Martial, I think suits, um, but he's just not fit enough. And I think it's the problem with relying on someone like Martial, which I just on the Varane injury, it's quite similar because. Varane's a player that, you know, his significance to the team, there's no dispute in it. Um, but it, it, it's to be so reliant on a player with such a in- track record for injuries is a real concern. And it's why I've, I've done a few articles in recent weeks in the blog stressing that I think United really need to go out and sign a centre-back in the summer. And not necessarily to replace Varane. But maybe to, to, to lift some of the responsibility because, one, I don't think he's able to take the responsibility. And there's it, it, nothing on Varane as a player or as a character or anything like that. It's, it's about it just solely his injuries. He's just not reliable enough. Um, come to that conclusion, I think the longer we, that we persist with it in, in the long term, it'll just end up in constant frustration and heartache. Um, and, and that World Cup coming up, the fact that he's going to be fit just in time for that, he's going to be thrown into the deep end, I wouldn't be surprised that come the end of the World Cup we're talking about Varane being on the injury list and, and out for some time because he's just not able to hack it anymore at this level. And look, maybe that's harsh anymore at this level because what players, we're getting back into the conversation about what players are being asked to do, especially this season and the, the amount of fixtures, quick succession, and especially with a player in a track record for injuries, you know, it's just, it's, it's a disaster. Disaster. So, yeah, I haven't got high hopes for the likes of Rand going to the World Cup. I think if he was injured that little bit longer to rule him out of the World Cup, it, it could, that could even benefit him long term. But, you know, he, he showed that his, his priorities the other day are solely set on that World Cup and going to Qatar next month. Final topic I wanted to touch on again is Cristiano Ronaldo and how he's just completely deluded. And I'm sick and tired of the, the back and forth that we're seeing on, on some radio shows, some some coverage over the weekend, particularly between Roy Keane and Gary Neville. And we just see kind of group of players which I want to exclude Gary Neville from this because he, he doesn't fall into it. But a group of former players who are clearly still in contact with Ronaldo, consider themselves friends with Ronaldo, but they cannot they cannot criticise him. And they find ways in which to defend his behaviour and oh it must be down to lack of communication. fuck your lack of communication for starters, Rio. That's harsh shit. Problem there is that Ronaldo's facing up to reality and like any other player in the squad has to deal with some calls every now and again. Has to deal with the, the notion of being dropped for a game. Sitting on a bench and maybe not coming on. That's part of football. And this whole thing that, oh, he's a different mindset. Yeah, let him have his mindset. Let him have his mindset at Sporting Lisbon or wherever he so wishes to go in, in the near future. Because 
the thing about Ronaldo is he's completely deluded because since the summer his agent came out and made it very clear that his desire was to leave Manchester United. For starters, no problem with that. When 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 that was made public, they've all sat around a table and said, "Fine, we respect your wish. Off you go." Right? No problem. And that may have happened had there been interest in Cristiano Ronaldo. Where this now this is where he, him being deluded comes into it because Ronaldo was well aware over the summer that there was not interest. In his signature they went they went bold at the start and suggested that he wanted to be in a team fighting for the champions league then they were shown up a little bit that team didn't come knocking the only kept team that came knocking him from the middle east they weren't interested in taking that money and ronaldo stayed at manchester united now he has kicked up again kicked up another fuss um his desire to leave remains whether his you know, fussy, fussy streak about picking a team in the Champions League remains. He'd have to drop that. He's going to have to accept that he's he's not a player of that standard anymore. That he's past it. So, what is? What are the options? You know, this is why I think Ronaldo's deluded. What are the options for Ronaldo? You ask anyone what what where he'll go in January. Nobody knows because the interest isn't there. There's some pop up articles every now and again about Napoli, about Chelsea, but th- these are only kind of just popping up as. It's clickbait. There's nothing serious about it. There's no serious discussions being had. Like I spoke to someone at United just early last week um, and asked him about Ronaldo and there was there was no word of any interest from any club. So I think it's going to be an interest in January. I would, and I wouldn't be surprised too if his contract was, was terminated at some stage because if we're sitting around for the month of January just looking for a club for Ronaldo... That just becomes an issue for United. Why not just terminate the contract and let Yorgi Mendes deal with him? Um, if he's going to cause such a noise in the background about his reduced role in the team, which I think is ultimately deserved. And just back to the notion that Ferdinand suggested that there was a lack of communication from, from Ten Hag. I think what, Ber- what Ferdinand is getting confused with is that some players in some dressing rooms, they get they get more respect. I think Ferguson would have given the likes of Ronaldo, the likes of Cantona, a bit more leeway in the dressing room. And you understand that. But also, let's not forget that when Roy Keane was kicking on as a player, and Roy, and Ferguson was then considering getting him out of the team, how quick Ferguson was to remove that leeway he had with players and with leaders in the dressing room. And how quick he was to jump on Keane over something small, like an interview with MUTV, in a bid to get him out of the club. So there comes a time when these players lose their influence. Not, maybe not lose their influence, but lose that the power that they had in the dressing room. Because I don't think Ten Hag should be bending over for a 37-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo, who, when he plays, doesn't offer as much to the team anymore. So I'm really fed up and sick of all this Ronaldo um, conversation. So I hope this part of the podcast that it's the final time we touch on him for for a while until he leaves the club. Whether he play against Sheriff during the week, I don't care. It's just a it's, it's a matter of time now before he leaves. And I just hope that between Ronaldo, Mendes, Manchester United, and Ten Hag, that they can all come to a conclusion without there being much noise in the background. There doesn't need to be as much drama, um, because that only gives reason for a distraction for players when it comes to playing matches and not getting results. And I think right now I can see harmony within the dressing room. And that's even with Ronaldo being there trying to kind of spoil the stew. But yes, it's time to time to move on 
Um, time to move on and time to put the team first. What do you think Ten Hag has done from, from day one when it comes to Ronaldo? I can't fault him on that at all. So that's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.